Welcome to Josh's Worst Nightmare Oddcast, presented by Denver Horror Collective. I'm your host, Josh Schlossberg, surveying the dark landscape of biological horror fiction. For this episode, we're being mobbed by Mark Taus. As a late starter in this writing game, Mark continues mining for gold, digging through tunnels of decades-old debris. He's a 48-year-old child who writes for himself, hoping to entertain a few along the way. Crows is his third novella, preceded by Nana and Hope Wharf, and there's plenty more to come, including his second foray into old folk horror, One Last Shindig, to be released in April 2022. Welcome to My Nightmare, Mark. Thanks, Josh. Good to be here, sir. Looking forward to educating the audience on like everything I know about Crows. So it could be a very short, a very short podcast, this one, Josh, but we'll see how we go. Well, 30 minutes is the typical podcast. So let's see if we can do it. I think we can do it. So we can do it. <laughs> I know Mark through DNT Publishing. So I believe ours were the second and third long fiction published by DNT. I think that's right. Yeah, we're pretty early days. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we were early adopters or, or early adopted, one of the two ways to yeah. look at it. Yeah. And we were both on a virtual show called monsters of dnt elder horror where we spoke specifically about the commonalities between our books which is elderly people in horror that's right i, I remember i seem to remember i was the only one that sort of went full hole on the dressing up as well josh to be fair but um <laughs> and i don't think that video has ever seen light today and i still i keep getting the blackmail notes from you in the post and i, I keep paying the money so hopefully that's enough to uh, stop that from from airing yeah, well, you missed your last payment, so we'll probably have it live before very long. So we'll see what happens with that. But for folks who are familiar, folks who aren't with Josh's Worst Nightmare, I invite on horror writers to talk about an aspect of biological horror, which I have a broad definition of living creatures, vital processes relevant to their writing. So this episode, why not talk about crows? Yeah. So t tell, tell us what role crows plays in your novella crows <laughs> all right good, good question to start with so look i've always had a fascination with with crows i mean and that and that stood the test of time as well so i've always wanted to incorporate them into into longer fiction um look i mean i live in australia now and we get all sorts of of tropical varieties parrots such as galahs and lorikeets but it's the crows that still hold such a high importance for me. So I really wanted to, you know, make a big deal of that and, and sort of honor them to some extent. Um, they've always had that symbolic attachment to death. I mean, they're, you know, they're carrion eaters. So they're always going to be associated with, with death and whatnot. But I think they get a bad rap. I think that they're gorgeous creatures. They're actually stunning. And, you know, when I go for a walk and I watch them, you know, looking down on me from from a branch and cocking their head, and you know, I'm thinking, do they recognise me? I mean, you know, this is all they're judging me, as though they can see through my soul, and all the misdemeanors I've done in the past, and, and weighing me up, and you know, going to report that back to whoever they need to report to. But um, so the crows really comes into the story pretty early on, where we get three of the characters um, are disturbed by a tapping at the window. And it sort of escalates from there. And we go, we can skip forward to 
the middle part of the story where the four characters are in a car, you know, they're heading into no man's land, directions on the invitation that they received very mysteriously. And ahead they see a circle of crows and they wonder what all the, the fuss was about. And as they approach, they notice that there's a crow in the middle that's dead. So that aspect of the crows, you know, at face value, uh, mourning the dead was really interesting for me. And, that, and that's all I knew about it at the time. I didn't, I didn't know the aspect of, ah, oh, you know, they were out there like little bloody Columbos looking for clues and looking for threats. It was all about, you know, how can I incorporate that sort of sentient aspect of, of mourning one of their dead into the story? And that's really what it's all about. And what, you know, there's so much di different varieties of folklore about crows, but I wanted to, I didn't want to explore that. I didn't want to research that. I wanted to write my story organically, I hate that word, but then during the editing process, go back and making sure I'm not sort of stepping out of territory or not, you know, making stuff up. So that's what I generally tend to do. Mm -hmm. Sorry, this is a long answer, but I generally tend to just write the story based on no limitations. And then when I do the edit, just go back and do some simple fact checking and just make sure I'm, I'm sort of, you know, ticking the boxes, so to speak. Yeah, well, that's excellent. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, a lot of people's instinct is to, okay, I'm writing a thing about a thing. Let me read everything about it and make sure I know all these aspects. But sometimes that yeah. makes it really trite, right? And, it does. And it's derivative. very rigid. Yeah. And yet you find that you've got this checklist that you have to tick each time. So by the time you've finished, it's taken all of that organic growth out of it. And it's just, it's made it sort of quite linear to some extent. And I never want that to happen. And that goes back to me being all, always a panster. I, I, don't, I don't generally tend to plot, you know, start, middle, finish. I just have an idea and just let that grow and see where it takes me. And that, that, that's what I love about writing. You know, that, that's, that's, that's the childlike awe and like wonder of, you know, just stepping into this unknown territory and just exploring and having an adventure. And that's why, incidentally, the blurb on the back of the book is so vague. Yeah, I didn't want to give the game away. I wanted to, you know, people to, you know, understand that we've got a character here that's grieving and the crow is to some extent trying to communicate with him. And that, that's, I just wanted to leave it quite open. And, you know, he follows the crow and I, I just wanted to, people to have an adventure. I wanted to approach, for them to approach this with a very childlike innocence to some extent. And so that, that again, is, is some, some, you know, a reason why I don't incorporate a lot of, uh, you know, plot checks or, um, you know, things to cross off as part of the story. Yeah, keeping it alive. And your stuff is very readable. And a lot of people think that's easy. They're like, oh, look, it flows along. I can just breeze through this. That's one of the hardest things to do in writing. And you either just naturally have that ability or through your editing process. But it sounds like that's kind of just how it comes out. And that's impressive. Yeah, it is. Look, I mean, uh, I don't know about you, but, you know, um, I, I tend to I don't tend to like just scribble through a draft and try and get it as quickly as possible. You know, I'll, I'll write uh, maybe a thousand words a day, uh, but I'll try and make sure that they're, they're a pretty solid thousand words. And so when it comes to editing, um, you know, I'm not going back and again, trying to be too rigid with it. You know, I'm, I'm trying to let that, you know, let it be, you know, how I intended it to be on the page. 
you know, because I don't want to go back and make too many changes and, and sort of, you know, make it so I think it's palatable to the reader. I, I don't want to start messing with it too much. I want them to have a, like I said, that adventure, that surprise. And if, and if I'm having a good time reading it and if it's free flowing from me, I, you know, I believe they're going to have a good time too. So you do have to do edits, of course. But, you know, if you can adhere, you know, as close as possible to that first oh, this is wonderful, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm having so much fun writing this, it's fantastic, you know, without trying to, you know, stringently take all the fun out of it, I think that's going to be much more pleasurable experience for the reader. Absolutely, yeah, no question about that. Well, that's cool to know, but back to crows. So, yeah. so I see a lot of ravens out here in the Western US, so ravens are the solitary, they're related, but they're different birds altogether. People lump them yeah. together because they're big black birds, but they're very different yep. but crows are you know together in groups they call them murders whatever so yep. th there's the idea of it's not just necessarily typically a solitary crow right it's it's them yeah. together and that dynamic that they're bringing which can be threatening right a whole bunch absolutely of and yeah. so do you do you think um you got any inspiration from the birds uh daphne de maurier was the one who wrote the original short story that was then adapted yep. by hitchcock does that come into play or is there a scary element or do you stay away from scary birds without giving too no, much? No, 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 it, it is. There's, there's definitely a, um, you know, an attachment of that. I mean, I, I've, I've tried to explain crows before and I would say it was definitely a cross between the birds and the wicker man that are the first two films that spring to mind, but that sort of gradual buildup of terror, but yeah, the, the sort of the, the idea of the murder of crows and communication between them um i did certainly want to explore that um and in terms of the way you know going back to the funeral aspect of affairs and this is very limited information i know and i'm not on uh, like a bird watcher or ornithologist so i don't you know these are unsubstantiated to some extent but um when they see one of their dead on the road you know they 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 sound the alerts and that's when you know their comrades start gathering around and that's when that sort of i suppose that whether you call it a funeral or investigation process begins but that communication aspect is, is quite interesting for me and i definitely wanted to explore that further in terms of um how they work together um you know how they even communicate in terms of the undulation or the, or the sort of frequency the rhythm of their cause mm. all that aspect of it was was quite important and again, you know, we're, we'll, we only, we've only got a very, very sort of basic comprehension and, you know, but the idea is, you know, that, that, they, that they've got a, the intelligence of a seven-year-old child. That's, that's what, you know, mm -hmm. scientists equate it to in terms of human form. Mm -hmm. And I know that their brains have 1.5 billion neurons, which is equivalent to that of the apes. Mm -hmm. So, but because their brain is very small, the neurons are more compacted. So the idea is that communication between them is, you know, uh, much quicker. So all of that stuff, again, I, I, you know, I never knew any of this before I wrote it. But, you know, the more I read about it, the more I thought, yeah, th this, this story kind of does tick those boxes, you know, without actually planning on doing so. So that was quite interesting. And I also read later on about um, an aspect of German folklore where they believe crows are the soul, that they contain the souls of the damned. I never knew that before I started writing it, but that was like, whoa, that's quite interesting. Um, so like, it's, it's all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I forgot what the question was, Josh. Sorry, but just talk about crows. I think it was to talk about crows. <laughs> and that's exactly 
It's exactly what we're doing. Yeah, obviously, I mean, going back to Ravens, which again, are not the same thing. So we have Poe's the Raven, right? Of course, that looms large. I know that Stephen King in his dark half, he used, I think it was starlings as these quote, psychopomps, right? right? So the transition of the souls. So that's pretty similar in that crow bird world. And I do know that, yeah, a lot of folklore does see them as the emissary of the dead, that it's almost if you see them, somebody's supposed to die, all that kind of dark stuff. But a lot of Native American stuff sees it as renewal, like renewal and revival. And that's a lot closer to their ecological role, which is, yeah, they kill things sometimes, but most of the time they're picking up the scraps and they're keeping that whole process of ecology going. Absolutely. And their numbers speak for themselves in terms of the, the intelligence, you know, the, um, I mean, I, I've read somewhere as well that they even, they even, you know, can predict restaurant schedules in terms of when, mm-hmm. when they'll throw the rubbish out, you know, they, they'll see, um, you know, one of their or carrying on the road and, you know, they'll, they'll monitor the traffic lights and they'll, they'll learn to understand when it's clear, when it's safe to go out there and, and feast. So all, all that kind of stuff is, is just so interesting for me. Uh, we, we don't get crows really um, where I live in Australia. We, we get uh, ravens um, mm-hmm. as well. Um, but look, I mean, it, it's, it, I've just, since, since being a kid, I've had this fascination with crows um, and, and that probably stemmed from the attachment to the macabre. But then you learn about these other cultures and, and their appreciation in terms of their, as you said, you know, their sort of psychic transformative um, attachments there as well, where, you know, some believe they can see into the future. And there's, you, you can, there's so many different aspects of folklore. It's so varied. You know, some put them on the dark side and some put them on that sort of more spiritual sort of lighter side. Um, so it's quite interesting, really. It is. The more, the more, the more you look into it, yeah, the, the more interesting it gets for sure. Yeah, but I like the fact that you kind of just took your own way with it, because, of course, you can get all bogged down with all the different cultural ways of looking at it. And what you find is that even though there is some overlap, each of these cultures have a very different view of the same bird. I was just reading here in Japan, seeing a single crow is thought to mean death for the person who sees it during the daytime. But if they see it at night, it means good luck and fortune. So there you go. Okay, there you go. And I think the story starts off where um, one of the one of the young ladies say something about, oh, I think if you see one crow, it's bad luck, two crows are good luck. So, you know, she, and that, that's why she chose not to, to follow the, the single crow um, that flew into the forest and the other two did, but they, they both got very, very different endings. But again, mm-hmm. you know, not going into too much detail, mm-hmm. but yeah, that there's so much superstition and attachment to it, but, but I do think they get a bad rap because I think they're, they're gorgeous and, intelligent i agree yeah i think i think of course you got to play on the dark aspects and i think it's fun to turn all those elements into a horror story but yeah in real life of course they do get a bad rap and i think of course it's the fact that they're they're dark black and that they eat the dead and they do have a creepy sound their 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 calls could be creepy but they're also quite interesting and unique and uh, i never see crows and then have a negative feeling it's just that's not something not me like. neither absolutely not no i mean I, when, whenever i go for a, for a walk or a run and I, I do this for all the animals i see I, I just start talking to them i just say hey how's your day going and stuff like that which is kind of like twisted and weird but um uh, but yeah it's it's because you, you it's it's odd because it's that high importance aspect of it you, you you see them looking down and it's like you know oh i'm just a friend you know it's like um, but 
it, it's like they they sort of prompt a response. It's like they're, they're you know, because I value them with such high importance. So I just, yeah, it, it's odd. It's, it's an odd attachment, but I've, I've always had it. And I'm just glad that I got to, um, you know, write, write a story about it, which is pretty cool. Uh, again, you know, the, the, I think in Swedish folklore, again, I'm just trying to recite this so if I'm, because I've got such a bad memory these days. I'm 48 and things are starting to drop pretty quickly. But I think Swedish folklore, um, believe that crows are the ghosts of the murdered um who never got a proper christian burial hmm. um but like you like you said japanese folk that you look at any different country they've probably got a different aspect of, mm-hmm. of uh, perception um of crows but but I, I just wanted to um i wanted to really play on that but also bring it back to um this, this bring a human element into it as well which Again, I'm not too sure how much I can talk about, but um, yeah, I probably won't go down that road. But but yeah, look, it, it's it's a very sinister, slow building, wacky ride of revenge, really. And and it goes, you know, I, I wrote a, I did write a short story about it hmm. when I first started writing. It wasn't particularly very good. Uh, they never are, but. Um, so I think it was probably the second or third story I wrote. It was a little piece called Forever Autumn. And it was about a murder of crows that witnessed a murder. And it was, you know, they, they launched a vendetta against the murderer um, in terms of a, a spate of revenge. And mm. they just tormented the murderer. You know, they, they were there all the time. They were sort of tapping it. They wouldn't leave him alone. You could hear their cause in his head although they were trapped inside it and you know they took him to a place where he just couldn't take it anymore so you know he thought right i've had enough i can't do this anymore so that that aspect of you know them being to some extent creatures of justice as well works really well for me and mm-hmm. um, I, I wanted to sort of um you know translate that into it into a longer piece so you know that's what the story is about it's a story about revenge um and you know how 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 that spiritual element of crows comes in comes into play yeah that's fascinating that's that's really cool and yeah i think you maybe might be building on your own mythology there and i think that's where a lot of this folklore and mythology comes from and i think that's a really great thing uh to to take our own avenues with thing i know i do feel like very pent up when it comes to okay here's here's the way things have been portrayed and then i have to do it that way and it's like well i don't necessarily want to write a zombie that way and it could be helpful to understand what other people are doing so doing that with crows i think that's a cool thing i like the the association with revenge just reading another thing saying that uh, a lot of times it's tied into prophecy so there's a whole other angle of crows there and i think what it comes down to though is birds are are dino they're dinosaurs they're basically dinosaurs and crows are a very distinctive crows and ravens are a very distinctive version of those dinosaurs so i think that's always going to get humans attention no matter if you're a child if you're a modern person if you're somebody living you know tens of thousands of years ago same deal you're right absolutely my my son is fascinated with dinosaurs to be honest with you so um uh you know, I, I even sent him off to, to go and do because I thought this would be quite interesting for him as well. And he came back and said, oh, dad, did you know this? Did you know that? So, yeah. But yeah, look, it, it is it is very interesting. Yeah. Um, but like, like, as you said before, I mean, when you're writing a story, you know, you don't want to fall in the same. Um, you, you want to bring something different to the table. So, 
Um, trying to stay unique in this game is is definitely half the battle, you know, because you and I know the market is saturated. So you have to bring something new to the table every single time. And, and that's challenging, yes. you know, um, but it's also quite exciting as well when, when you find that path. Um, you know, you, you, you could write a story very quickly. You, you can write anything, you know, you, you, get, you get an idea in your head and you, you can easily do sort of a thousand word story or something along those lines, but try and find something that has been relatively unexplored in the way the earth has been unexplored. Everyone's been down there. Um, so it's, it's definitely challenging, but hopefully, I, you know, from what readers have said to date, I'm, 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 I'm you know, getting there. Um, but yeah, look, that, yeah, coming up with something that still, you know, leaves readers with their mouth hanging up and is, is yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a challenge. So would you say that this Crows is folk horror? Yeah, I would definitely say it falls into the realms of folk horror. Yeah, I would do. That's cool. Yeah, it's tough to talk about the folk horror elements of one's book typically because that's where the big reveals are. So yeah, it gonna, is. You're right. Not going to pry <laughs> too much, but that is. But yeah, a it, popular... it definitely does. Yeah, it definitely. And I've always wanted to write a, a sort of a folk horror type story. Uh, not an old folk horror because that's something different. But I definitely wanted to write something along those lines. Yeah. Because it seems to be quite a trend. It seems to be quite a an interest for readers. They they seem quite um, you know they seem quite happy to explore those strange, weird people um, in those sort of cult situations. Yeah, yeah. That's it's something that's existed for a long time. It's just that definition, that subgenre of folk horror. I've become yeah. obsessed with it. I've always been into it. I just didn't know there were books like Thomas Tryon's Harvest Home and things like that that I always loved. The ceremonies yeah. by T.D. Klein, and then recently, they're like, oh, that is what folk horror. They didn't know that was at the time. They didn't call it yeah. anything at the time. So, yeah. if if it's something that you're into, and it's something, so you tied in basically what I call biological horror because it's focusing on some sort of creature, living creature, and folk yeah. horror, and that's that's exactly my sweet spot. So I definitely look forward to reading this. I've read Nana, of course, but I definitely need to read, <laughs> I need to read Crows, which does have a beautiful cover as well by, I believe. Yeah, like it's, it's a very different type of story. I mean, Nana does exactly what she says on the tin, really, to be honest with you. Um, but, but like, I, I did, I did enjoy writing. Um, I do what, you know, I enjoy old folk horror. Yeah, we've, we've talked about this before. So, and, you know, we've got one last shindig coming out in April as well. But uh, but look, I just wanted to, to do something different. And as I mentioned, Crows has always been something close to my heart. So, um, so look, I, I yeah, we just started, I started putting some words on the paper and fortunately the story grew from there. And, and I, I didn't really know where it was going. Um, but again, as I said before, that's that's part of the fun. Absolutely. Well, when I think of crows, because I think about all elements of biological horror, I know that you're never supposed to touch the dead virgins because they're thought to have disease, which basically any dead bird is just be cautious about it. It's not that crows are more likely to be carrying disease, but I just know that's one yeah. more wrinkle that I would be remiss not to, to mention yeah. the connection to bacteria and viruses, which is my favorite thing. Oh, there you go. Okay, <laughs> that was a good segue, Josh. Very good segue. No, but again, I, I, again, just just thinking of something because because I, I I have this tendency of like, you know, my memory is, is like a, a badly edited movie. You know, you, you've got the 
you've got uh, the de deleted scenes that that are just gone forever, but then you've got um, the little bits and pieces that come back at, at sort of completely wrong times. But um, there's a, a piece in terms of the funeral aspect where, uh, you know, there's got to be one of their own kind. If, if they see a, a sparrow or a finch dead on the floor, they don't care. That's Maggie Sparrow. It's nothing to them. It's, it's got to be one of their, their own kind before they before they start that process of of circling and gathering, which is quite interesting. But um, and I also again again this is unsubstantiated, but this is just something I read. But um, there was an experiment where they put um, like taxidermy crows out in the middle of the road, and you know they they still gathered. And going on a different tangent. Um, I think four percent of the time there was some aspect of necrophilia happening, which was quite a quite an interesting thing as well. Um, but again, so all, all that kind of stuff is like I learned through through the editing process, and I learned I when, when I first started, um, I didn't, like I said, I didn't want to do all that because that to me is like when you're younger watching a, a dvd then going back and watching all the behind the scenes you know it, it sort of takes that the magic out of the way you know the, the magic out of the whole thing and yeah so for me that that aspect of it is is the least interesting i just, I just yeah. like to take the idea of, of that sort of conception the different folklores mix them in a bag and, and just see what comes out yeah, I think that's the strongest and most effective way really to write fiction, in my opinion. You know, you're not yeah. doing some sort of ethno anthropology here. You're writing fiction. Yeah. So you got to take the elements that work and put it in the story and it needs to serve the story. And that's that's the goal. And oh, yeah. I, know, I know you're really good at it. A couple other things that I'm thinking to to really cover this crow topic here. So of course there's scarecrows, right? That's a yeah. common thing in horror. So a thing that's yeah. meant to scare crows away because they eat the crops. And and we've had a lot of those stories where it's basically the scarecrow comes to life. And I'm, I'm not suggesting yeah. that that's something you use, but have to yeah. mention a scarecrow at least, right? The nemesis. No, that is good. Crow. It's interesting you say that because um, that was the, the front cover again with that, that fascination with crows that was a front cover of my my first ever release face the music so uh, that's a cover of um we've got the big silver moon in the background and we've got the scarecrow with the customary crow just on the the the, the straw arm so again that that there's a reference there to it because and that's just purely because of my my interest and respect for them to be honest with you yeah yeah and they are beautiful birds and then there's a term eating crow which i just looked up so the idea of eating crow is that you do something that makes you humble or you do something that kind of you put your foot in your mouth kind of oh he ate crow after failing that test or whatever and yeah um, basically what i'm reading here these expressions date from the early 19th century eating crow from america eating humble pie and dirt from britain the origin of the first is not known. generally acknowledge that the meat of a crow tastes terrible so it's just like it's a gross ah. thing to do i guess all Which, right okay yeah eating a uh a uh not not a carnivore but a uh, scavenger like that is not necessarily the best eating because they're wiry they're not like yeah chickens or pheasants no. or anything like that but it's funny this is not a crow but years ago i had a hippie friend in in college when i was somewhat of a hippie but not as much as as him and he picked up a dead owl from the side of the road and he wanted to be respectful about it so what he did is is he he <laughs> in his mind this was respectful he took the, he had this big beautiful owl's dead 
he cooked it over a fire we cut cut off the head i didn't touch it but he cut off the head buried the head and he ate part of the owl even though it was somewhat gangrenous like you could literally see and uh he survived but it was it was tough eating and i I imagine eating an owl is a lot like eating a crow it's it's ill-advised I can't imagine it's uh, mouth-wateringly. No, I, I can't imagine that. No, no. So as but the they, author of Crows, would you advise against eating crows, you're saying? I definitely wouldn't be recommending. I never thought of putting any sort of warning or recommendation on the back <laughs> of the book. Maybe I've missed the trick there, to be honest with you. But no, I'd pro- probably not recommend it, to be fair. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. But I, I can understand where they're coming from. I mean, in terms of not wanting to waste the, you know, that, 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 the, yeah, the life, I guess to some extent but no i, I don't really know <laughs> no. No, no that, that no. no i've never been tempted to twist the bed's head off and eat its body no to be honest no so no, far but we did but I, so far we did bury the parts and i think that part was respectful well anyway Definitely. that was that was great to get into this topic i always like to dive deep in whatever topic it is and so tell folks what you're working on now and remind people where you can uh, where one can find your work yeah, so so I've just done crows. Um, I've just completed a couple of short stories just over the holidays. Um, a couple of quite cheeky short, short stories, which is where I seem to be gravitating towards at the moment. But um, so crows, Nana, Hypor, for all available via Amazon um, and a few other places as well. Um, we've got a few things happening early next year. So we've got one last shindig in April, which is the the follow-up to, well, not, not strictly a follow-up, but in the same vein as Nana. Um, and that's following a group of old fogies on a road trip, but, you know, the little do they know that the apocalypse has happened. So it's an end of the world folk trip into, into hell, shall we say. But that, that's, again, it's a, it's a dark comedy um i thoroughly enjoyed again spending time with those characters because it's a great break from the heavy aspect of horror i mean i i I love the lighter stuff because it's it's cheeky and it's like and it's fun you know when when you sort of type in your keyboard and you're you're laughing to yourself and you're having a good time it's great you know you can't wait for the readers to you know to experience that um but i've got more serious i've got nature's perfume coming out in journal stone which is which follows a, um, a group of four people, probably their last holiday together because of life, jobs, etc. And so they go full hog into the jungle on a bit of an adventure. And um, so that's, that's quite an interesting one. I had a lot of fun with that. And we've got Gone to the Dogs coming out in January, February from DNT, which is, qu- is quite an interesting project because it's going to be purely digital via NFT um uh, yeah so it's yeah look i'm always open to trying new things i didn't really understand much about cryptocurrency and all that jazz before but um but i'm willing to give it a shot so that that's a bit of a different venture for me and yeah there's lots of stuff planned in 2023 contracts signed already for that one uh there's a third in the old folk horror called the generation games which is an absolute riot as well um but yeah yeah i'm keeping myself busy I mean, a lot of this stuff was written during lockdown, Josh, as I said before. So, uh, you know, I really piled it on. Um, My work ethic was, um, you know, pretty much unparalleled at at that sort of time. 
Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm finding it more difficult. So I've gone back to short stories for that, for that purpose, just in terms of maintaining sanity. Uh, you can do, you know, 3,000 words and, you know, you can put it out and edit it. You can do that within a week. Um, so I'm just going to focus on that for a time being until the bigger idea sticks. I mean, I'll sort of, you know, try and allocate some time to that one as well. Well, look on the bright side, there, there might be more lockdowns in the future and then you can get a ton more long fiction done. <laughs> That's a really morbid way of looking at it, isn't it? <laughs> but uh, honestly, I, I say that to everyone. They always look at me strange, but lockdown for me, in a very morbid way was 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 definitely the most productive time i've had and you know it gave me a good experience of what writing would be like full time and bloody hell i'd love it honestly i would i would um yeah i would definitely embrace it um again that, that's a that's a pipe dream one that probably never happened but um you know but it was a good experience so i thoroughly made the most of it put it that way yeah that's great to hear well thanks for coming on the podcast pleasure enjoyed it enjoyed my i hope their audience enjoys my limited knowledge of of crows and whatnot so well, well, please I, don't send me emails like fact checking or anything like that no that's not what my audience is we're here for the fiction writing and fiction writers can make up whatever the hell they want so that's, exactly that's what we love about it that's why we do it isn't it it is well thanks mark pleasure thanks for taking a trip with me through josh's worst nightmare where i josh schlossberg survey the dark landscape of biological horror fiction presented by Denver Horror Collective. If you don't want to miss any of the great, and sometimes disturbing, weekly episodes I've got planned for you, be sure to subscribe to Josh's Worst Nightmare on a variety of podcast platforms. You can also sign up for Josh's Worst Nightmare e-newsletter at joshsworstnightmare.com, where I share a whole squirming mess of bio-horror, including my infamous haiku horror reviews and my latest dark scribblings. Speaking of which, if you haven't already picked up a copy of my cosmic biological folk horror novella, Moline, from D&T Publishing, you can find a copy of the paperback, hardcover, or ebook at Amazon, Godless.com, or joshesworstnightmare.com. Yours darkly, Josh Schlossberg.